should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I know it's so refreshing to hear to hear my voice, I guess, <laughs> that it's not just a recording after being off for a week. Welcome to this amazing July 7th, Tuesday. And I'm so excited because, yes, John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club is here with us today. Hey, Michelle. Nice to be back. Yeah. I like started to miss you. Really? Yeah. I was like, John, where's John? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he believes me. But anyway, it feels so great to be back here on the Progressive Voices Network. So, John, since our last show that we had before I went on a pride break, crazy pride break. Pride binge. A lot has happened. Uh, in every single field in the world, yes. It's been an incredible week or two. Yeah, celebrations. I feel like we just continue to celebrate upon um, it, it, each and every good news. And that one, the number one major news would have to be, of course, you know, marriage equality is here for all 50 states, the Supreme Court decision and their ruling, um, you know, that finds the uh, state bans on same-sex marriage unconstitutional. Uh, when the decision came out, where were you? What were you doing? And were you as excited and happy as the rest of America was? I believe I was at work. I saw it probably like millions of other people did, just saw the news come through. And of course, I was excited. Um, did you get married? No. <laughs> no, mom. <laughs> no, it's been the most annoying question ever yes. uh, in the last two weeks. Everyone has asked me if I'm going to get married, especially because I was wearing like a, it wasn't even actually a real tux. I had just kind of put together this makeshift tux look-alike thing. It was a black bow tie. But that's been the uh, the biggest question so far for me. But no, no, none of us are getting married, but we are excited <laughs> to have the choice if we do one day. Well, and you know, part of the fun, beyond just the what, what the Supreme Court decided and President Obama and, and other supporters taking kind of a victory lap, though he, to his credit, did not claim credit for it. Mm -hmm. He just said this is a good thing has been watching the people who opposed it either have to, you know, you saw Bobby Jindal first come out and, you know, he issued this this rule, this order, and then it got beaten down by three courts. Um, you saw Scott Walker, the Wisconsin governor, also a presidential candidate. Um, now the news is out that his two sons both support marriage equality and his wife uh, has been to, uh, I guess, her best friend or cousin or whatever is a lesbian and, and all this. It, it's... It's the continuing fallout in a good way that we really get a, a sense of just how broad this decision was. Right. And our nation has not fallen, I guess, uh, you know, I shouldn't say apart. I mean, in some places it's probably falling apart. But I, I guess I shouldn't say that we're, you know, hey, some of us haven't gone to hell as far as some of the uh, religious leaders have said that if marriage equality was here that we'd all go to hell or even the straight couple, heterosexual couple out in Texas who said they would burn themselves. And I think there's they 
No, I don't think that they, <laughs> I think they're still around. Anyway. I hope they're getting therapy. Anyway. And then Donald Trump still has some hair. <laughs> <laughs> Good for us. Awesome. Very cool. And then the other big news, uh, I mean, there's more, there's a lot more big news, but you know, the Women's World Cup win, that their, was their, huge. Their third world championship. Yeah. The third world champion. You know, the interesting thing was that I got so many texts that day, people just assuming that, you know, I was glued to my television set and I was just doing things here and there. I'm, you know, definitely a, uh, the women's soccer team fan in, in some way, but you know, I'm not like a soccer enthusiast, but it was just like that at that moment I realized, Hey, this is huge. There's a lot of people tuning in, you know? I think they, they have a, the opportunity to not only change people's opinions about women's soccer, but um, and, and I think they, they are and, and will continue to do so. And we'll obviously talk about that quite a bit today. Yes, we will. So let's get to the show. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So while the attention is on the Women's World Cup win, that's what we'll focus on during today's show. Our guest today is Gwendolyn Oxenham. She played soccer at Duke and for the Santos FC Pro Team in Brazil. She's the author of Finding the Game, Three Years, 25 Countries in the Search for Pickup Soccer, and also recently wrote an article titled Millions Play, 180 Get Paid, why women's soccer can't get a leg up. Gwendolyn, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I loved the article. It was just like, yes, of course, while all the focus right now is on women's soccer and this big win, there's this white elephant in the room that uh, has been going on for quite some time, and your article focuses on just that, the uh, the pay inequality or, I guess, the disparity or difference between, you know, women's soccer or pro soccer and men's pro soccer. Uh, I think after reading your article, people in general know that women make a lot less than men do, but in the pro soccer world, it's pretty shocking. In your article, I think you mentioned somewhere around $10,000 average is what uh, women get in pro soccer. Is that true? Yeah. And, I mean, I, I, people, you know, assume that, that women's salaries are probably um, pretty low in, per, in pro soccer. But then um, if you were to actually guess how much they make, I don't think anyone would guess that $6,800 is the starting salary for the women's pro league. And, um, I mean, that's just that's less than minimum wage. And so these women um, are, are, are playing um, – simply because they love it, but when you can't make a living, so many really talented women are, are getting out of the game, and um, I mean, that's, that's pretty depressing when we're in an era where uh, male stars are making $20 million. Uh, so how does the payment come out? I mean, is this all from sponsorship money or ticket sales or whatever, and, and is, is that revenue there to cover either, I mean, even the men's, I mean, not all the men's teams are doing particularly well in, in terms of attendance either. Um, well, um, it's starting to change in, in the men's world, but um, anytime you start a new pro league, there, there are major hurdles, and uh, we are in our third reiteration, our third attempt at a women's pro league, and the first two leagues both folded in their third season, um, and this is the third year of the third attempt at a season, and so um, trying to keep costs down uh, is why they, they kept those salaries so low. So this league is different in that the national team players that everyone just watched win uh, the World Cup 
they all have their salaries paid for by the U.S. Soccer Federation. So they make pretty substantial salaries. But if you're not on the national team, um, then that's when you're making right around $10,000. At $6,800 is the starting salary. Thirty-seven is is the max. Um, but that's usually earmarked for international stars. Um, so, but until women um, soccer can generate significant revenue and prove its relevance in the marketplace, um, those salaries will, will be kept so low. And um, I mean, it's kind of a catch twenty two. You know, well, they're in a situation where they're not making the national conversation. Um, right now, when, when the Women's World Cup is going on, you see them. You, you see the commercials. There, there's so much attention. Um, but now they're going to fade away again. And, and people don't even know a women's pro league exists. Um, I, I teach uh, college kids, and every year I do. My, I harp on women's soccer, and no one even knows that, that there is a league. And if you're not making the national conversation, um, then you're not getting people at your games. And if you're not getting people at your games, then it's hard to prove to um, advertisers that they they should invest. And if you don't get advertising dollars, they're not getting on Sports Center, and it's just sort of this vicious cycle of, of how, how, how do you change that? Yeah, you mentioned kind of the, the potential fading of interest after the, the World uh, Cup, but that must have helped. I mean, you know, th- like you said, it, it attracts attention and, and really in the best way. I mean, women's soccer at, at the um, World Cup level has just, I mean, it's been world class. You know, I mean, it's, it's a good story where, sorry, the men's U.S. soccer is not. <laughs> well, the men's soccer aside, I mean, 25.4 million viewers watched that final, which is yeah. more than any sporting sporting event, male or female, um, since the, the college championships of NCAA football. And that's the only event that, that more people tuned in for. I mean, that people really, really paid attention, and um, and that's been awesome. And Fox did a wonderful job where you, you got to see little vignettes on each of the players, and the coverage was top-notch, and um, they will also be televising some NWSL games, which is the Women's Pro League, and I mean, hopefully, like you say, that this will be a starting point, and we can keep that enthusiasm going in the Women's Pro League. Michelle Miao and John Zipper, we are speaking to Gwendolyn Oxenham, uh, who is an author, has a book out, uh, Finding the Game, Three Years, 25 Countries in the Search for Pickup Soccer. Also played soccer at Duke and for Santos FC, which is a pro team in Brazil. And we're having a discussion about uh, gender pay gaps here in women's soccer and and pro soccer, actually. you know, in the in the article, Gwendolyn, I mean, and you for yourself, I mean, you could speak for yourself in being a former player, but, you know, the, the life of a pro soccer player, uh, for the women's team at least, um, some might think that it's all so glamorous because if, you, if you're paying attention really once every however many, you know, months or, or years in watching it when it, it's global like this, you might not think about, you know, how hard these women work, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's just it, I think people would be shocked to see the lifestyle of, of what it what it's like. Where um, many of the players live with host families. Most players have a second job, either coaching. Um, I have one player works at Antian's Pretzels when she's not playing. Uh, there's, there's it's 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 very very different from your sort of stereotypical idea of what a professional athlete looks like. And I mean, it is it's a ton of it's a ton of work, and um, you know all of the sort of sacrifices are there where many of um, the players live thousands of miles away from their partners. 
um, so that they can play this game. Um, but uh, the, the, that, and those are sacrifices that all pro athletes make. But um, when you're when you're playing for ten thousand um, dollars, not a lot of the sort of glamour, the benefits, the upsides of pro soccer um, is there. And I mean, and one one just sad part is that many players are retiring at twenty two, and these are players who played on these national teams and who dreamt of playing on the national team. But um, you just can't stay find that financially afloat when you're making uh, that that tiny of a paycheck. Um, so, so women are getting out of the game um, and not able to continue to pursue uh, their dream. Are uh, women's soccer teams in other countries faring better? Uh, no. Really? Uh, well, that's not true. Um, in Europe, uh, there are some established women's pro leagues like Germany and Sweden. Um, oh, sorry, that was my son crying in the background. That was at the park with my brother. Um, the uh, Germany and Sweden they have established leagues where uh, the they make decent salaries. They are supported by the national federations that pay for both the men and women's league. Um, but then, uh, in a place like Brazil, the soccer mecca of the world, um, which is where I played, uh, you know, we lived six girls to a room and ate hot dog buns for breakfast and rice and beans for lunch and dinner, and we hitchhiked to practice and uh, shared a field with a horse and was never allowed to play on the men's field. Um, there, uh, it's it, There's a long way to go, and um, I think that what Santos, the team I played for, is also the most famous club in the world. That's where Pelé played, that's where Neymar uh, played. Uh, and at Santos, um, the, they ended up cutting the entire women's team in order to pay for just Neymar's salary. And uh, once, when that happened, Erica, one of the women's players, um, was interviewed. And, you know, she's crying. And she just says, we just want to play. That's it. I mean, no, they're not, the women aren't trying to make $10 million, all they're looking to make is enough to continue to play the game they've played their whole lives. Ugh, that's so heartbreaking to hear. Gwendolyn, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd love to discuss the uh, disparity. It's not just as far as pay goes, but also women are actually treated differently than men are when it comes to pro soccer. So stay with us. Sure. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this, and John Zipper will also be back. <laughs> Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us today. On the phone with us is Gwendolyn Oxenham. She played soccer at Duke and for Santos FC, a professional team in Brazil. She's also the author of Finding the Game, Three Years, 25 Countries, and the Search for Pickup Soccer. We're talking about her recent article, Millions Play, 100 and 180 get paid why women's soccer can't get a leg up. And so, Gwendolyn, uh, before the break, we talked a lot about the uh, pay gap and this very shocking difference. Women who average about six to $10,000 a year in pro soccer, whereas the men, well, <laughs> I don't even... I don't even know. Men can make a whole lot more. But, you know, it, it, the uh, disparity just it isn't about the the pay. I believe that women actually um, are treated differently, even the, the game in itself. Like I read an article where the women, you know, are, are they play on artificial turf versus real natural g- grass. And that's a little bit tougher. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, any soccer player will tell you that they want to play on grass. They would never have ever hosted a men's World Cup on artificial turf, um, but because it is the woman, I guess they thought that that, that they, that they could do, make that happen. Um, uh, but the players were very upset about that. Got a lawsuit against FIFA um, and, and lost, and 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 they played on turf, and you could see that it did affect the game. You slip more, the balls run faster. It just it changes the game, and when you spent your whole life playing on grass, um, it, 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 it's a difference. Um, so that was a bummer. And, I mean, that's certainly not the only way women and men are, are treated differently. Um, England actually just tweeted, or the English Football Association just had a tweet, uh, I think it was yesterday, that said, our lionesses go back to being mothers, partners, and daughters today. Um, but they've taken on another title, Heroes. And, you know, that just is a tweet that absolutely never would have happened for the men. Um and that's another sign of, of the way uh, men and female athletes are treated differently. Kind of reminds me back when I was at college in, in Wisconsin and the sports editor at our paper would refer to the women's teams as like the lady badgers and stuff like that, whereas right. you know, the men's are just the badgers. Um, right. What what can parents do? I mean, what can they do in terms of exposure to the, of their you know their kids to sports, both genders, of letting them you know get involved and in, and in, and seeing you know soccer, women's soccer, as something to you know follow and to get involved in. What what can parents do? Um, I mean, cord sports are awesome. Getting your kid cheering just as much for the Women's World Cup as for the Men's World Cup. Having a Abby Wambach jersey or an Alex Morgan jersey for your son just as you would have a Clint Dempsey jersey. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I just I think that uh, you, you can't have the, the stuff like, oh, you throw like a girl um, and those kind of um, terms, um, but just you know, encouraging both both uh, kids to to male and female to 
to go for it and to to show just how awesome these female athletes are. Gwendolyn, I don't know if you saw, but Hillary Clinton did tweet um, out after the Women's uh, World Cup, and her tweet was, from the soccer field to the White House, girls can do anything, (laughs) which is an awesome positive tweet. But it brings me to this question. You know, there's leadership here in this country, and uh, there's things like federal laws even that protect uh, against discrimination in the workplace. And my thoughts are, I mean, it's so extreme the way that uh, women are treated in pro soccer. There's got to be something that you know, leaders like Hillary Clinton or some somebody can do, right, to kind of close the gap or to make it a little bit more equal? Um, well, I, I certainly think that the efforts have, have picked up in, in recent years, so um, I, I, I sure hope so. Um, the, there are all kinds of programs from science to, to soccer um, that are, are hoping to get um, it, Kids, which is where I think the change really has to start, um, participating and viewing things differently, and just not not ever um, being, you know, shown a, a, a difference. And you know, and then you've also got the whole um, sexualizing issue, which comes up so much in women's sports, where you know the the hotter they are, the more advertising dollars they get. Um, and um, while while sure, there's David Beckham's of men's soccer. Um, there, it's it's much more extreme in female soccer. Where uh, my college roommate, uh, who's Icelandic, uh, she plays for the Icelandic national team, and no one came to their games. And then it's posed in a nude calendar, and then they sold out every game. And uh, it's it's a it's a little it's a little bit crazy uh, looking at at that whole element of of women's soccer too. Can I, while you bring we're on that subject and you brought it up, I, I wanted to ask this question. I mean, being a, a lesbian here on this show, um, you know, the Abby Wambach kiss after the win, obviously, is huge. I mean, it's worldwide, but met with such positive uh, response and, and just kind of your experience in playing with women's soccer. And I'm sure that, you know, there's been plenty of women who are not comfortable coming out, um, you know, in, in kind of maybe your peers. What are your thoughts on, you know, kiss like that? And do you think that it may change women's soccer in a way where people can stop perceiving that sexiness is the only way, you know, soccer can be sold? Absolutely. And I think Abby Wambach, Megan Rapinoe, has been huge for that. I mean, when I played in Brazil, um, I was the only straight girl on the team, yet none of my teammates were out at all. Um, and they all told me at the beginning of the summer that they had namorados, which means uh, boyfriends. And then by the end of the summer, they just kind of giggled and said, actually, namorados, <laughs> which means girlfriend. And um, you know, in a place like Brazil, where there is such a machismo culture, um, that's just not an option. They're not allowed uh, to 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 be open with with the way they live their lives. And when they see someone like Megan Rapinoe and Abby Wambach and who who are able to give a kiss to their girlfriend at the end of the game, um, you know that does make changes. And they just they're in such awe of being able to 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 live openly. And it's so depressing that in so many countries, especially, that's just not an option, and I, I think that uh, Abby Wambach and Megan Rapinoe are really opening up options for so many people around the world. Oh, that's so it's so awesome. I, I guess that was the, the big question I wanted to ask. I mean, obviously, for lesbian fans, um, that was amazing, and I think, you know, the people who are texting me were all my lesbian friends, <laughs> so right. I know that lesbians are huge, huge fans of, of soccer, but, you know, it's not the only fans of women's soccer. Obviously, women's soccer what two? What did you say? Twenty five point four million people around the world tuned in to the World Cup. 
Yeah, that's more than the NBA finals. That's more than hockey. That's more than baseball. That's, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's huge. <laughs> All right. What are your hopes, you know, for the future of women's soccer? I don't know if you're playing anymore, but it sounds like you're just writing more, right, about the game and hopefully getting more exposure of women in sports out there into the world. Right. And then I, I, I write a lot about it, and then I have my, my pickup game um, every week. So, so that's how I've, I've kept playing in my life. But I, well, my, my big hope is, you know, there are 30 million girls who play around the world now, and so we've really seen a step up in involvement. Um, and now I, I just like to see a, a pro league where uh, women can, can make a living playing this thing that they've pursued their entire lives. Um, so finding a way to have the World Cup interest translate into into the Pro League would just be awesome to me because then you have little girls able to watch uh, their heroes in their city regularly. And, um, and, and then I think that helps, you know, realize what's possible and, uh, in, in whatever field someone's choosing to pursue. I agree. I think part of the reason so many people will watch a World Cup is because there's the patriotism factor tied in with the excitement of the game and the same reason people get so attached to their local teams of whatever it is they're following. It's like those are the those become their heroes. They're, you know, they're rooting for them even through bad times. Um, okay. Do you want to play again if the offer <laughs> Um, gosh, uh, I, you know, that when I graduated from college, the U.S. Pro League was folded, had folded. So I uh, decided to pursue a different dream. And I, um, you know, there, there are definitely pangs of good God I miss playing, but um, I have also really enjoyed being able to uh, go out beyond the sort of soccer safety net and see if this, the, the things you learned in sport, like they say, it's supposed to happen, if that can translate into a different arena. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with playing against my 50-year-old Persian guys every week and, uh, and working on my weird book about fortune tellers in New Orleans. So um, I, 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 don't, I don't think I, I would go back to playing now, but um, that's because I, it's been 10 years since I've played at a competitive level. Okay. Well, for folks who got really excited about the U.S. women's team uh, for the World Cup, when will we see them next? When, when I assume at the Olympics. When when will that be? Do you know? Yeah, next year at the Olympics. That's that's the next big um, big worldwide event. But there's also an NWSL Pro League, and uh, it, that they're looking to your your local city options and see if there's a pro league that you can go support because they're awesome. And uh, the the that league, the level, it's not some sort of big drop-off. I mean, this is international stars playing in front of empty stadiums, unless you live in Portland, and then Port- Portland, like, always is super cool, and they get 15,000 uh, people at each of their women's games. So, oh, what does uh, that happen? Is that yeah. just because Portland is Portland, or yeah, that that's, that's part of it. Um, Portland has always had an incredible soccer history. Um, mm-hmm. The colleges sell out their their games too, but uh, they the Thorns, it's the only, it's one of two teams in the BSL where uh, they're partnered with our men's team and they're not treated like a side project. They're, the Portland administrators are just as much behind the women as the men and, and you see the results in the audience. I mean, they're rabid, rabid fans uh, for the women's team. Well, to, go ahead, John. I was Sorry. just going to say, well, I, I hope the fact that there's only a year between the, the two big U.S. women's team uh, uh, you know that there won't be that much of a drop off. That people will dive into some of their local teams and, and get to see the excitement continuing. In other words, that 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 kind of rolls out to further uh, publicity and excitement. 
Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> we, we all hope so. Gwendolyn, thank you so much for joining us here on the program and for opening up to us about you know the life of uh, uh, the women's pro soccer team and, and just all the information you've given us. Hopefully this will educate everyone out there. And if you tuned into the World Cup, make sure you also support the women's team in general here in the States. Gwendolyn Oxenham played soccer for Duke and also for Santos FC. She's the author of Finding the Game, Three Years, 25 Countries, and the Search for Pickup Soccer. So if you get a chance pick up her book uh, or follow her on Twitter. Gwendolyn, thanks so much again. Thank you so much for having me. Talk to you soon. The Michelle Miao Show continues after this. We'll continue our discussion, but in a, in a different way now. We have uh, our guest next uh, who did a study on the media and media coverage and how this plays into women's sports and women's soccer as well. So don't go away. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude, um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this beautiful, amazing July 7th. And I call it beautiful and amazing because my good friend here, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, is with us. Always a pleasure to be here, Michelle. Thank you for joining us, our only male voice today while we focus on <laughs> women's soccer. But you're, you're a huge fan. Um, actually, I do. I follow uh, European soccer. 
Awesome. Well, we're going to continue our conversation. We spoke earlier with a uh, former pro player about just kind of her experiences and, and her article regarding the gender pay gap in soccer or pro soccer. But our next guest is Dr. Cheryl Cookie. She's one of the authors of a recent study titled It's Dude Time, A Quarter Century of Excluding Women's Sports in Televised News and Highlight Shows. Let's welcome Dr. Cookie to the program. Dr. Cookie. Hi, thank you for having me, Michelle. Yeah, so, you know, I'd, I'd loved reading the several articles that uh, uh, that this morning I, that was provided to me regarding just some of the things that you're talking about, but really focused in on this, this uh, survey that you did or this research that we have here. That in fact, you know, the media has a lot to do with, um, you know, the popularity of sports in general. ESPN and all those major networks focus on male sports, but what about women's sports? Yeah, so this is a, a longitudinal study that uh, my co-author, uh, Mike Mesner at USC, and I uh, conduct every five years. And uh, we look at the uh, coverage of men's and women's sports on the local news affiliates in Los Angeles, as well as on ESPN Sports Center. Uh, and what we found was that the coverage of women's sports is actually lower today than it was back in 1989 uh, when uh, Professor Mesner first began the study, and, and this was very surprising to us, uh, in particular because of the tremendous growth uh, in popularity and an in interest in women's sports over that time frame. So it almost sounds like it, this is on purpose, <laughs> or, you know, women are excluded or women's sports in, you know, national TV or even international TV, maybe even, um, you know, they're excluded for a reason or on purpose? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how much of it's intentional, although I do think that there is a, a kind of conventional logic that operates for many within uh, the mainstream news media, and in particular in mainstream sports journalism, uh, which is that, uh, you know, women's sports aren't interesting. Um, it's not going to draw in viewers. It's not going to draw in um, the kinds of audiences that, that we target, um, we being that, that mainstream media. Uh, and so women's sports get passed over. I think with the local news affiliates, though, um, you know, I would hope the local news, although driven by profits, is also driven by, uh, you know, kind of journalist standard, journalistic standard to provide uh, their audience with what's happening in the world today and what's happening in the world of sports. And, and if you just uh, turned on the TV and if news and highlight shows, uh, televised news and highlight shows were your main entry point, into what's happening in the world of sports, you would be left with the impression that, that women aren't playing sports, when in fact we know that's not the case. Has any sports program uh, challenged that assumption that, that you know, women's sports aren't as interesting or aren't as exciting to the audience? I mean, have, have any of them tried, okay, well, let's try to beef up the amount of coverage we give to women's sports? Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you talk to, to folks at, um, you know, ESPN or, or other um, venues, they, they would actually dispute the findings than they have in, in other um, uh, media uh, venues. And I've, I've appeared with uh, some of those folks um, in dialogue with some of those folks as well. And I think, you know, if we're looking at live broadcast coverage of women's sports, clearly that has um, um, grown tremendously. If we look at... Um, you know, ESPNW, I think they've done, um, um, made some efforts, positive efforts towards um, increasing 
the coverage of women's sports, right? And so, but one of the things that, that we argue, though, is that these highlight shows still matter, right? For the, for the casual fan, for the casual sports uh, fan or casual viewer of news media, um, places like uh, ESPN Sports Center or um, CBS Sportsnet or, uh, you know, Fox Sports News, uh, which, which have also been studied by some of uh, uh, my colleagues in the field, right? right. Those are the, the main sources of which people are going to go to to seek out information about sports. And if, and if those spaces are still male-dominated, that matters. Um, and it creates a context wherein um, women's sports are marginalized and it kind of further, I think, um, hinders uh, the development and growth of women's sports because it's really only the diehard fan that's going to um, be persistent and continue to, to, to click and, and um, scroll down. Uh, for example, I have um, a couple of uh, apps on my iPhone where I um, you know, just check out scores or what's happening, and I wanted to find out what was going on in the Women's uh, World Cup tournament the past couple of weeks. Uh, and and um, on some of the sports apps, including um, ESPN's app, uh, I think CBS um, app was also similar, Yahoo Sports, uh, there either wasn't any um, link to the World Cup tournament, or if there was, you had to kind of click through. So you had to sort of look, you know, sports by competition, and then click on soccer, and then click on, uh, you know, Women's World Cup, and then you found the scores, as opposed to those scores just automatically appearing um, in the highlights within that um, iPhone app feed. Yeah. Michelle Miao and John Zipper of Commonwealth Club here, where we have on the phone with us Dr. Cheryl Cookie, who's one of the authors of a recent study. It's due time, a quarter century of excluding women's sports and televised news and highlight shows. John, you had a question. Oh, I was just going to ask, what do we know about the gender balance of the audience of things like ESPN Sports Center and, and uh, CBS Sportsline? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what those numbers are. You probably have to, to look to somebody at, um, at ESPN. Uh, you know, my my sense is that it might be skewed more male. I think their their target market, at least in terms of advertising, is probably the 18 to 34 or um, you know 34 to 49 year old male. Um, and so I think maybe if I if I'm anticipating where this this line of uh, questioning might be going, either John <laughs> in your mind or maybe in in the mind of some of those who are in uh, the audience listening. Uh, you know, the, the, the idea is like, okay, well, you know, you know men, men aren't watching women's sports or men aren't interested in women's sports or, you know, ESPN, um, other uh, networks and, and media sources are just, you know, giving audiences what they want to see. Uh, and what we argue in this study uh, in what our findings uh, indicate is that the media play a really powerful role in, in shaping our interest in sports and in building audiences for men's sports. Uh, one of the things that we noted, uh, we observed in, in terms of some of the qualitative analysis that we did, um, was that uh, the ways in which men's sports are covered are done in a way that convey a, a kind of excitement and um, interest. There's a lively dialogue and, and very vivid um, adjectives and descriptors that are used to uh, frame and discuss male sports or men's sports and male athletes, and that was really in contrast, stark contrast to the ways in which the commentators um, in our study talked about 
women's sports, which was in a much more matter-of-fact kind of way. And so, um, you know, it, it, is, it does get into Jonna's kind of chicken-and-the-egg argument, right? Uh, and and it, it, it's difficult to tease that out, uh, what the exact causes are, and I think they're probably multiple. But I think we give too much weight to this idea that it's simply supply and demand without taking a deeper look into how it is that the media build audiences for men's sports, construct interest in men's sports, and, and really create a context wherein it's so much easier uh, and, and so much more exciting in many cases to follow men's sports than it is to follow women. And what impact might that then have um, on, on audiences uh, uh, and viewership and, and ratings and so on. I was really just trying to formulate a new program that Michelle and I are going to launch. It's going to be all about <laughs> oh, right. women's sports, and we're going we're gonna to take the world by storm. We'll call up ESPN, and we'll show them how it's done. <laughs> Oh, great. Well, can, I be a, can I be a part of this, this social movement? I know. I think so. And speaking of social movement, Dr. Cookie, this is what I, I wanted to ask. I mean, in the study, uh, there was one, uh, one part, part of it that had noted in 2014, at least, you know, basketball or tennis or women's basketball and tennis seemed to be televised the most when it came to women's sports. Um, but there's still this fascination or this obsession with the media and male sports, even, you know, creating celebrities out of basketball players and football players are so interested in their lives and their jewels and I mean there's even a new show out called Ballers uh, with uh, Dwayne Johnson The Rock you know focusing on football stars and male football stars produced by Mark Wahlberg it, 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 it to me it's like when when they report on women right and women or female athletes like even the the Venus twins you know the tennis superstars they're emotional or they're all over the place or you know it's almost like in a negative way so I wanted to ask you from a social perspective I mean do you think that are we really still there in this day and age where we seem to think that you know women just are not sexy as athletes and we want them more in swimsuits or something else yeah I think that I think you know kind of speaking beyond just um, this particular study and to some of the other um, work that I, I do, I do think that um, gender plays a, a, a huge role in terms of how it is that male athletes are framed in contrast with how it is that, that female athletes are framed. I think the fact that sports as an institution um, was developed, you know, if we look at the history of, of modern sports in the United States and in other Western cultures, um, Sports was developed to train young boys um, to be men. Um, it was about reasserting masculinity in a time where um, our culture was undergoing a lot of uh, social, uh, political, and economic changes. And so uh, we, we can't forget that history. And I think that history still carries on, that, that sports is viewed as a, a kind of a site for the display of, of masculinity. Uh, and if I can use some academic jargon, uh, hegemonic masculinity or very, you know, kind of particular mm -hmm. type of masculinity is, is on display and celebrated uh, in the world of sports. And so, you know, female athletes then entering into that space are kind of confronted with a, a sort of what some scholars have called a paradox, right? That um, what the expectations are for women in society are often in conflict with the expectations for those who are playing sports and, and for those who are on the athletic field. And so we're really, as a society, uncomfortable, I think, even in 2015 um, with athletes uh, that are perceived to be uh, too masculine, although I think that's changing. Um, but 
and I can I can speak more about that, but I'm thinking of you know folks like um, Brittany Griner, um, Abby Wambach, who are you know a little bit more kind of maybe stereotypically uh, butch or masculine, right, and who are openly gay athletes are somewhat challenging that. But I think if we look at the um, the comments in social media, particularly about Brittany Griner, uh, you know, very homophobic, so um, very vitriolic. And so for some female athletes, I think there is a kind of um, maybe an internal desire as well as perhaps an external pressure to highlight um, their more feminine side or to highlight their kind of heterosexy side as a way to, um, you know, alleviate or to portray a particular kind, alleviate you maybe sort of concerns about, um, you know, their their gender, right, or to, to maybe appeal to um, fans. And I think, you know, whether or not that, that's kind of a intrinsically motivated or extrinsically uh, motivated is, is, is a, a, an interesting question. I, I think one of the most, I guess, no other word for it, one of the most depressing things is, is you mentioning how the, the coverage of women's sports has actually decreased since 89. And yet this has been a time when, obviously, most recently, we're looking at the women's, U.S. women's team having won the third uh, of their uh, World World Cup titles. And, you know, you see more uh, on a local level, more girls teams in, in uh, schools and, and, you know, getting a bit more uh, coverage or at least, uh, what, presence or whatever. You just kind of think that if anything, it would be inching upward and, and you're telling us it's actually gone the other way. So I know you're a doctor and you're doing a research on this. So I don't know if your job is really to give uh, <laughs> advice, but what can people do about change about this besides Michelle and I starting this show? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question. And, and I want to just um, um, add to that. I think advocating for more coverage is not necessarily the way to go. Uh, and the reason why, in part, we saw that decline, in, in some ways it's maybe positive, I hate to use that word, um, but w- one of the things that we noted, again, when we looked at how women's sports were covered, over that time frame, we saw a decline in the kind of um, sexualized humor, um, sexual objectification that we saw in previous iterations of the study. So... Um, one of the, the longer-running stories in our 1999 sample, which was actually the year that we had, we saw the most coverage of women's sports, was about Brandi Chastain of uh, the 1999 uh, Women's World Cup team taking off her jersey, and the um, commentators made jokes about that, referring it to, um, you know, Brandi Chastain's striptease and uh, referred to the U.S. team as the Ponytail Express. So in some ways... The decline is, is somewhat positive because we don't see that kind of uh, sexualized humor and sexual objectification within the coverage. Uh, so it does seem like the, the media is, is almost saying, like, okay, well, if we can't sexualize you, if we can't, you know, make, make sexualized jokes about you, then we just, we're not going to cover you um, at all, right? <laughs> we're all out so of ideas. Every, we don't know what to do if we can't do <laughs> yeah, we don't know what We don't know what to do with you. Um, the, the other kind of dominant frame that we saw within that 2 to 3% coverage was um, focusing on female athletes. Uh, and their role as mothers, right? So there were uh, several long stories about Candace Parker um, and Lisa Leslie, uh, Lisa Leslie being inducted into the Hall of Fame, and I think Can- Candace Parker uh, receiving the, the MV- MVP award or being um, eligible for the MVP award for that particular year. Uh, and, and both of those 
uh, segments, which appeared on two different networks, one on the local affiliates and one on uh, ESPN Sports Center, both veered into conversations about how it was that these you know, fem- prominent female athletes balance being professional athletes with being mothers. Uh, and so it's, again, kind of situating female athletes in real conventional roles. Getting at your question about what do we do about this, uh, you know, I think that that's the, the, the kind of holy grail that we're trying to figure out. I think one of the things is just what we're doing right now is having conversations about it. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be on, on the show and to share uh, the study with your, your viewers. Um, and the, the study is available online. It's, it's uh, open access, uh, so anyone can download the PDF and read the, story, the study. Um, you know, I think sometimes folks will say, like, oh, well, well you know, people who will advocate for women's sports or, or people who are interested in women's sports need to write into the media and to, you know, demand more coverage or to, to, to write into, um, you know, their, their uh, local high school or, or their college newspaper and, and um, you know, kind of advocate and demand for, for better coverage of women's sports. And, and I think that's a piece of the puzzle, but I also think that that lets the media off the hook. Right? And, I, and I think they, that also leads to kind of annoying things where in the sports cast, and now for our Women's Sports Minute. And they have their <laughs> Women's Sports Minute, and they're cool, we did our job. Now back to, uh, you know, the trailblazers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so, and yeah, and one of the things that we argued in, in the study for is we'd like to see not just, um, you know, maybe more women in... Um, in the sports journalism world, although I think that's needed. We do need more uh, women involved in key decision-making positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not just women, right? We, we need folks, both men and women, uh, who are willing to uh, cover women's sports with the same uh, quality and high production values that they do with men's sports. And I think uh, until that happens, uh, it, it's going to really continue to be this, this uh, uphill battle. Dr. Cheryl Cookie, thank you so much for joining us here on our program today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Dr. Cheryl Cookie uh, had just mentioned it. If you would like to check out the research that we've been discussing, you can download it at Open Access. By the way, she's also president-elect of the Northern American Society for the Sociology of Sport and also associate professor of women's, uh, of women's gender and sexuality studies. Don't go away. When we come back, final thoughts with uh, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. 
After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us today. It feels really, really good to be in studio and also, of course, on this Tuesday with John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. I'm thrilled to be here, and people can't see your face, but trust me, folks, she's smiling today. She's back on top. <laughs> I definitely was fried. I mean, I know I've said it before, and uh, I'm sure Jax, our producer, had mentioned it all last week when we replayed shows. Um, but yeah, I think I nearly... Yeah, I I probably I passed out after a seven hour broadcast <laughs> of the hours. San Francisco Pride Parade. It is ridiculous. I don't know. I think, I, you know what I want to say. I'm pretty sure we could enter the Guinness Book of World Rec- Records. I don't know any other parade that has gone on that long. Um, perhaps. Do you think next year's will be as long? Longer. I'm going to predict, I'm going to say no, um, and just for a couple of reasons. One, I can't see companies wanting to stand around for four or five and a half hours just to go down Market Street. Mm-hmm. Can't see that being a good use of their time, and I could, I bet, and not. I, I should take that back, not a good use of their time. I mean, it's a great thing to go down Market Street and represent your company during San Francisco Pride. However, if you have to pay these employees... Or you have to consider that this is a, you know, you're representing a company or some sort. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like five, six, seven, eight. That's a, almost an eight-hour workday, right? Well, if plus not you have more. to print 7,000 T-shirts. So. 7,000 T-shirts. Oh, for Apple, that's nothing. I actually had <laughs> mentioned to my partner that, you know, next year they ought to consider having a float, an official float, promoting their Apple, you know, music platform, the streaming platform, and have someone like Taylor Swift, who is extremely vocal about their streaming product, come out and uh, perform. They can afford to do that. I'm sure Tim Cook listens to this. So, Tim, run away with that idea. (laughs) It's a great idea. Um, And, you know, but uh, anyway, to wrap up just kind of the thoughts today and why I kind of wanted to focus on women's sports, I mean, full disclaimer, I'm not a sports fan. What? I've said it before here. Really? I mean, Jax, our producer, played lacrosse in college, and she looks like an athlete, so she absolutely passes and probably sat in a bar all day watching the game. She's maybe, in uniform right now, by She's the way. She's in uniform. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. You know, the, the numerous texts and the stuff on Facebook and even people that I know definitely do not follow women's sports were, you know, chiming in and joining in on the excitement for America. That, that, that was really cool. It was a great moment. I mean, people who, yeah, people who generally don't follow women's sports, much less any sport, yeah, tend to get drawn in at times of, you know, the Olympics and and, uh, World Cups when the U.S. happens to be going anywhere. I kind of felt, maybe I'm just a cynical person, but, you know, for me, it was like, we celebrated pride, we celebrated the Supreme Court decision and, and, and the progress that our country's making, and then we celebrated America again for Fourth of July, and then we celebrated the Women's World Cup win. It just seems like our country is winning. We're America. Everyone's a winner. I know, but the cynical part of me is like, okay, what? 
when does the shoe drop? Or, you know, I'm anticipating something to happen. And Oh, you want bad news? I can provide that. I know. <laughs> Just follow the news from Greece. <sighs> oh, see, now you ruined it. Hey, folks, the U.S. Women's World Team, World Cup team won for the third time. So call in or email Michelle, <laughs> pick up her spirits. Well, no, I mean, every day I'm also reminded of the severe drought that California is in. And... It, it really is affecting us to a huge degree. I mean, there are some pockets of California, especially the more lower income pockets where the people are already adversely affected. I mean, no clean drinking water, access to it. It's not like they can go out and buy uh, bottles of water. It's going to get worse. I mean, lots of other people, oh, so there's a $20 surcharge on my water. Big deal. Mm -hmm. For other folks, that's they're not, they weren't getting clean water mm -hmm. to begin with. Yeah. yeah, I think that there was a town, uh, you know, that I was reading about, Porterville, um, which had made headline news maybe a few years ago by challenging a local ordinance regarding, uh, you know, LGBT equality and marriage. I think that there was a city council member, you know, who was trying to defy the rules, blah, 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 when Prop 8 was dead. But anyway, Porterville now has uh, reported that they have the highest levels of arsenic in their drinking systems. And so, you know, there's reports of kids who they're playing outside in the summer. They have no choice but to drink, you know, this water and have already showed signs of some form of cancer or, or some, I don't know, getting sick or, you know, all that stuff. You can count on Michelle Meow to give you all the sad news. I'm going to give you the good news, which is that all the indications right now, well, not all, but the vast majority of the indications for this fall are for a, an El Nino. <laughs> lots of rain, lots I of water. So. Well, the good news to that is that we are showing reports that most Californians are doing their best to conserve water, especially here in Northern California. The other bit of something I wanted to bring up just really quick, because we mentioned Donald Trump earlier. I mean, while all the other Republican candidates had something to say about marriage equality, he actually had, you know, turned the discussions uh, around in focusing on immigration. Something tragic happened in San Francisco. A woman was tragically murdered or killed uh, by a gunshot wound um, that, you know, just random, reckless guy on the street who happened to be, a, a, yeah, an immigrant, you know, who's, who should have been detained uh, from what I have read, the reports at, uh, at least. But, you know, Donald Trump basically used that as a way to justify his comment regarding immigration or, or immigrants here in this country. I, I saw a story somewhere today where someone was pointing out, you know, you know Donald Trump's talking about, you know, Mexicans coming to the U.S. and he says they're committing these crimes and such. And someone was pointing out, yeah, we're not talking about all the white people who prey upon Mexicans who come into this country, who, uh, you know, leave them stranded in the desert, who take advantage of them once they're here. Um, so, you know, Donald Trump is speaking to his audience. <laughs> he's on he's like I don't know he's on a he's in a different type of America or something in a different world because while the rest of us are you know winning I should I should say hashtag winning <laughs> <laughs> these Republican candidates in my opinion are hashtag losing um it'll be interesting though next week we should have a discussion regarding Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton oh yes well right. and and the Supreme Court impact of whoever if the democrat wins or a republican wins oh. because we talk about those big uh you know decisions that came down this this year this month or last month excuse me 
um, a lot's going to determine, depend upon, you know, who gets into office. Well, John, I love it when you're here. The show is just that much better, so much better. Thank you so much for joining us here on this July 7th, Tuesday. For all of our programs that we do with John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, you can head to commonwealthclub.org. For everything else, michellemeow.com works too. We'll see you tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Tune into the Michelle Miao Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.